And I know we've had our, we are doing our retreat setting and we've kind of given up music for Lent. Uh, in some ways, our music as our primary form of worship. But I don't know, it just seems like maybe there's one song we should sing for just a moment. We're going to sing first verse and chorus. But uh, let's sing When Peace Like a River. Let's let's sing it is well. I think Amen. Amen. Felt like that was a good song to remind us of why we gather. And it's okay. In just a moment, Pastor Kyle's gonna come and give announcements. Uh we don't want you to think we're just going on with business as usual. So all of the things that Pastor Kyle will announce are tentative based on what our government decides, what the governor says, what the president says, uh, will be in our best interest. Um, we're gathering here safely. We're gathering here. Everything's been wiped down. There are plenty of hand sanitizer around. Um, so we're not taking this lightly, but we do want to gather and we do want to remember that we believe that Christ is with us, even in the midst of dire circumstances. So we're here to pray. We're here to be at peace. We're here to continue our retreat and hear from the word of the Lord. So if you're new, if you decided to venture out and this is your first time with us, we're doing something different. Uh, so you'll need a Bible. You'll need a journal. Let's be at peace today. Well, as we prepare today, I want to remind you that we are in our retreat season. And in just a moment, uh, the the scriptures that you'll need to look up will be on your on your screen. So you can go ahead and do that. But we're going to prepare again just a little bit about journaling. Uh, We've talked a few things, uh, what this is, why we are doing this, that this is a way for us to listen to the scriptures and so some of you I, I heard last week were a little bit like, what do I do in journaling? Some, this is difficult. You think it's all about complete sentences and your grammar and what if somebody reads this? I want to assure you no one is going to read this. So here is what you are to do. Especially I want to speak to our, our young people, our, our teens and our students. Here's what you do when we're, when we're reading and then when we're journaling. What you want to do is listen to the scripture and read along. When something jumps out at you and gets your attention, it could be you're just curious about a phrase or something just seems to grab your attention. Put your finger on that in in your Bible and write it in your journal. If it's a word or a phrase, it doesn't matter. Whatever captures your attention and you can stop right there and just Write for a second what that phrase is. When we have our time of silence, where we're listening for God, you ask God, why did that catch my attention? And then just begin to take a moment of silence and write down some sentences of why you think that might have got your attention. Well, I'm curious. I wonder what the Hebrew word is for that. I don't know, it could be anything along those lines. Think about that phrase in terms of your life. Where does this fit in my life right now? Oh, I said something, or I did something, or I'm experiencing this rough time right now. Maybe God is trying to comfort me. 
Don't worry about sentence structure. Don't worry about any of this. This is a time between you and God and His Word. And so you just want to listen. You want to write. And then we'll begin the next reading. And same thing. You'll go through again. You'll just look at it in the Scripture. Read along. When something grabs your attention, put your finger on it. Write that phrase or word down. And then when it's time for silence, ask God those questions again. Why did this jump off the page at me? What I'm trying to get you to understand is that you, although we want to learn and study, and, and I spent years uh, in seminary and all of those things learning all that technical stuff, you don't necessarily have to have a Hebrew degree in order for the Word of God to speak to you. The Holy Spirit can do that. And I want you to learn this so that the Bible becomes a, a fountain of, of refreshment for you. It becomes a place you can go and know that God will speak to you through the Word. Now, if you feel called to go on and, and, and learn all the technical stuff, it's great. It enhances some things. Uh, it enables you at a deeper level to understand, but you don't have to have that in order for God to use the Bible to speak directly to you. That's why we're doing these things. So let's put our scripture references up there. We have Exodus 17, 1 through 7. We have Romans 5, 1 through 11. John 4, 5 through 42. It's a little bit longer of a gospel reading. And then our psalm will lead us into our time of prayer. So go ahead and get those references down. Grab a Bible, however you get your Bible, whether it's electronically. Get your journal open to a blank page or a page you're ready to write on. And then we will, uh, we will do, do, uh, go through our retreat time. Okay? All right. Our first reader is coming. Uh, Steve is going to read for us. So go ahead. So we'll be reading from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you just a few minutes to flip there. If you don't know where Exodus is, it's the second book in the Bible, so it's right near the front. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Zin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt and make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not?
Our next scripture is from Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because that we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only, not only is this so, But we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Take the next few minutes to um, ponder and write down what God has given you.
Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel this morning? We'll be reading from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well, was, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until the harvest? I tell you, look, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage in the harvest and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the good news of Jesus Christ for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. Amen. Let's continue to listen and to journal.
Let us prepare for prayer. Turn to Psalms 95. I'll be reading from the message portion today. Come, let's shout praise to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best, high king over all the gods. In one hand, he holds caves and caverns. In the other hand, grasps the high mountains. He made the ocean. He owns it. His hands sculpted earth. Come, so come, let us worship. Bow before him, on your knees before God who made us. Oh yes, he is our God, and we're the people he pastures, the flock he feeds. Drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the Meribah, as on the day of Massa, when your ancestors turned and put him to the test. For forty days they watched me at work among them. As over and over they tried my patience, and I was provoked. Oh, was I provoked. Can't they keep their minds on God for five minutes? Do they simply refuse to walk down my road? Exasperated, I exploded. They'll never get where they're headed, never be able to sit down and rest. Now we take time to go to the Lord in prayer. I don't know if you caught that all of our passages today dealt with longing and with thirst in particular. Whether that was physical thirst of the children of Israel or the physical thirst of the Samaritan woman. Insiders and outsiders both thirst. Or whether it was the thirst that Jesus saw that she really needed what God had to offer. And what Paul talked to that Roman congregation of what they really needed and how they received forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. So as we go to prayer, think about your longing. What are you thirsting for? And let's go and ask God to quench every thirst with His grace. To listen for what He knows is our thirst and the ways that He can quench that thirst. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that You know every need we have. You see where we go here and there and everywhere searching for the things to quench that thirst, knowing that only Your grace, Your mercy, Your forgiveness, and Your love will ultimately quench our thirst. Forgive us, God, when we complain, when we don't trust that You have our best intentions in mind, and You are more than willing to provide. Teach us in the time of trouble 
in the times of trial like we are experiencing now, to persevere, knowing that through that you will build our consistent attitudes of trust in you, and we will continue to hope for more and more transformation. God, we come to you today and our world is not just in the grips of a virus, a physical virus, but we are in the grips of a virus of fear that is spreading more rapidly than the actual physical virus. Father, help us to have the peace that passes all understanding because we trust that you are with us. Thank you that you have enabled us to know how to do the safe and smart things, the ways to to cleanse areas, the ways to uh, annihilate virus from our surroundings. Thank you for doctors and medicine and nurses who care for us, who go into those contaminated places to bring healing to our bodies. We pray as our government leaders have asked us to do today, we pray in Jesus' name that You would help us to get ahead of the curve of this virus. We pray that You would heal those who are suffering. We pray that You would heal those who don't even know that they have it right now. We pray that You would be with scientists who are working around the clock to discover a cure, a vaccine, a help, a medicine that will help us. And in the meantime, we pray that you would help us to enjoy the simple things of life, to enjoy being with our families, to rest, to play together, to talk. Help us, Father. Calm us. Help us to love our neighbors, not hoard things for ourselves. Help us to show Christ's love, the one who saw our need and ran into the contamination, in fact became the contamination himself in order to nail it to a cross that we might be free. Help us to look like Jesus in this time. Father, we pray for our service. We pray as we hear from Ecclesiastes that you would open our hearts to the teacher's words of long ago and help it to challenge us once again to look to you for all meaning. God, as we give now our tithes and offerings, we pray that you would help us to be generous. Again, not to hoard and pull to ourselves, but to trust you to give, to let others know about your grace. May what we give today Encourage and help those around the world. For we pray all of these things through Christ our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we want to welcome, I guess there are some people watching online, we're testing this out. If things get worse over the next few weeks, 
Uh, you'll be able to join us online at facebooklive.com. So hello everyone who's online uh, watching from home. Uh, you can do that uh, if you feel anxious or nervous next week or if things get worse. Hopefully things will get better and we'll all join and we'll keep going and get our hearts ready for Easter Sunday. But go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We've been seeing that Ecclesiastes is uh, kind of a wet blanket. Uh, it is a shock to the system. It is a challenge to our way of life. And all the things that we assume we know, it, it challenges us. And so some of you have been saying, man, this is hard. I even had uh, Pastor Ken said, I, I preached a lot of very difficult books in my years as a pastor. I never once preached from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> So we're in uncharted territory here. (laughs) But uh, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and let's hear these hard words of the teacher in uh, verses 17 through 23. And then go ahead and flip a couple pages over and put your finger in there in chapter 4. We're going to connect these two. So chapter 4 verses 4 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is hevel, meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is hevel, meaningless, and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is hevel, meaningless. And I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is hevel, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toils and a chasing after the wind. It's the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Well, when I was younger, from about age 12 to 17 or 18, I can't remember, we lived uh, in South Texas. We lived as far south as Miami, just about six to eight miles north of the Mexican border. And uh, aside from the beautiful Mexican food that I fell in love with, if I don't get Mexican food like once or twice a week, I am uh, really, really hurting. Uh, and, but aside from that, we lived near South Padre Island. Uh, 
It was just a, a short drive down to the beach, and we would spend lots of time. Mom, when she was off school, would t- pack all three of us in with sandwiches and stuff, and we would go to the beach. And we would spend all day there, and we would do this multiple days. It just became a part of our normal summer routine. It was a beautiful place. And we would always build sandcastles there and, and have fun doing that. But there began to be, right as we were beginning to leave and move to the snowy north of upstate New York, um, there began to be these, th- these people that would come and do massive sand castles. You've seen these, haven't you? I mean, they've gotten really creative. It's not just when we were there, they would build these amazing like six and seven foot tall castles. They would walk in and, and, and you could see them there on the beach. Now there are whole competitions that they do this. I thought, I thought you'd like to see that. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, is a, you know, they just built something where it looks like there's a blue whale swimming through Atlantis. Or, or this one, I thought this was impressive. Siding with the waves and, I mean, just look at all the intricate detail that goes into these sculptures that are there. And then, because I'm a big Lord of the Rings nerd, I had to put this one up there. I mean, isn't that cool? I mean, there's Gollum, the ring, and he's even sculpting out what looks like film there. Film, uh, not that we use film anymore, but there it is. But these beautiful sculptures that are there, you would see them. And then the next time you would come back, and the beach is just flat again. This is somewhat what the teacher is trying to help us understand. The negative side of work. those That work and toil that we think will give us meaning and hope for our lives. He says it's hevel. Because he shows us that the tide always comes in. All the things that you put your life and work into, all the castles that you build for yourself, at some point the tide will come in again. And we begin to see this over and over because once the tide comes in, then it's all divided up, isn't it? And he says, once that tide comes in and you are no longer here, then all that you have striven for, all the things that you have done, all the hard work you have put in, goes to someone who may not be wise. They may be foolish. They may squander it all. They may not have worked for it. They may not even have come to the age where they even understand what toil is, and yet they get all of the Fruits of your labor. This is hard. Who knows what those people will do? In fact, I was talking with uh, Ray Jenkins, who worked for uh, a few decades, I want to say almost 30 years, as the, uh, the manager of Chenery Auditorium downtown. And he said, after I got retired, after I retired, I was decided I was going to read through scripture. And he said, I got to Ecclesiastes and it was kind of boring me until I got to this verse where it says, you've toiled and you've labored all this time and now somebody else is going to take it and who knows what they're going to do with that theater. He's like, I poured my life into that theater. I loved it and I love being retired. But who knows what they're going to do with that theater? Who's going to be the next guy or lady who who does that? And what will their vision be? And everything may change. The tide always comes in. And so the teacher wants us uh, to know then, if that's the case, if the tide always comes in, then what do we really get as compensation for our labor? He says, let's take an honest look at it. 
So he says, and I, I've used the, the English Standard Version because I, I like the way it says. It's actually a little closer to the Hebrew understanding. Uh, there the teacher writes, For all their days are full of sorrow, their work is a vexation. We'll talk about that here in a second. Even in the night, their heart does not rest. This also is hevel. Remember, it's not vanity. It's hevel. It's like vapor. It's like smoke. You think it's there and then it's gone. You try and grab it. It looks solid, but, but then it can't. You can't hold on to it at all. So what does it mean, days are full of sorrow? I wanted us to look specifically at sorrow because it's not just I shed a few tears kind of crying because I'm sad. This is the Hebrew word makov. You want to say that together, don't you? Ready? One, two, three. Makov. Very good. Very good. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Makov. Now, makov is not just, like I said, just shedding a tear, but it is a deep Sorrow. It is a mental anguish that you feel physically in your body. Yes, tears can be a part of that, but it is a deep inner sorrow that almost you can feel it in your bones. It is that down deep. Now, some of us have sensed that when we have lost someone that we loved dearly. We have felt that deep sorrow. But if we're honest, many of you, if you've ever started your own business, started a practice, worked at it and worked at it, and all of a sudden the entire economy shuts off, you know what this deep sorrow and worry that goes all the way down and feels even physical is talking about. And the teacher says, this is what we earn. A lot of makov. A lot of deep, physical, mental sorrow. He goes on, uh, he goes on and says, that work is also a vexation. Now, that's a strange word. We don't often say I'm vexed anymore. So what does that mean? Well, it's the Hebrew word kahas. You want to say that one? That's a, that's a good one, isn't it? Ready? One, two, three. Kahas. You can almost see it is actually anger or provo- provocation. I, I remember this one because it, it sounds like the word con. If you're Star Trek fans, you know, he's really angry and he's, he's vexed. He says, con! Kahas! You can almost hear the, the vexation, you can almost hear the anger and provocation in his voice. And many of you who have worked and sweated and toiled when things aren't going your way, you may feel that deep sense of sorrow. You may feel provoked when somebody does something wrong or somebody does a costly error and you're just like, Kahas! I'm so angry. So, so far we, we get some really good compensation. Days of sorrow. Nights of vexation. And finally, a heart that does not rest. I know in our NIV it says mind that doesn't rest, but it is the word lave, which means heart. It is our heart that does not rest. It's fluttering. It's anxious. It's filled with stress. Many of you, I won't have you raise your hand, but if you've been on the planet working long enough, there have probably been at least a few nights where the heart is beating hard and fast, and you're wondering what the next day is going to bring. This, says the teacher, is the true payment or compensation for looking for meaning from toil alone. 
So what do we do? He wants us to remember it's, it's like Hevel again. It's smoke. It's here, then it's gone. It looks solid, but it isn't. We all know the things that can come into our lives that begin to make work full of anger and sorrow and fluttering hearts. He moves on though, because it's not just toil that he wants to look at, it's also achievement. Now, achievement, if, if we were to really think about that, is having a skill that helps you gain favor. It could be that you enjoy, uh, let's say, you enjoy science. Now, that's great. It starts there. It starts as something that's given to you and you love. But then you begin to look at famous scientists and you want to do it just a little bit better. And so you begin to work harder and you begin to get better grades than the next guy or girl. And you begin to try starting your career and you begin to look at some of these other things. And you that's achievement. You begin to get accolades. You begin to get achievement. Now, it doesn't have to be science. You could be a barista. Do you know they have a competition for baristas, like to find out who the best is? Like, like this is achievement. It's like, oh, I want to be better than that guy. You know, Joe Smith is the greatest barista. He can put the he can put the heart and the leaf in my latte foam. I want to do that better. I'm gonna put Mount Rushmore in mine, and then I'll be the greatest. This is what we mean by achievement, and what the what the teacher tells us is that that seeking after meaning in achievement is often motivated by jealousy. He uses the word envy. But it's motivated by our jealousy of someone else. Probably a good example of this is Mozart and Salieri. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, these musicians, Salieri was the court musician in his little kingdom area at that time. That means he was given money by the ruler to compose and kept in money to keep composing, to write things that could be played at banquets and big parties and the ball. He had great favor. And there was this guy named Mozart. And he was an upshot. (laughs) And guess what? He was so jealous... Because he thought he was better than Salieri. He thought he was so good. When the king died, Salieri would have just become the the court musician for for the next king. Mozart applied for the job. Said, I'm better than he is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this out. Do you catch the jealousy? He wanted the accolade. He wanted the achievement. And Mozart was given a brilliant gift. If you've ever studied music, even if you haven't studied music, you've got, you've got to know some Mozart. It is everywhere. He has done so much. And it turned around on Salieri. And he began to be jealous of, of Mozart. And there was a great rivalry that came back and forth as jealousy longing for achievement, longing for the accolades, pushed them back and forth. It became so contentious, there was actually a rumor started when Mozart died that Salieri had poisoned him. That was proven false later. But do you see how even achievement can push us, like toil, if we're searching for meaning and only that, it can push us, it can push us into anger into sorrow, into fluttering hearts, and be motivated through jealousy. He says, 
achievement then is Hevel. You may, you may get an accolade, but soon there'll be someone better. <laughs> the tide always comes in. It will always take that. If you place all of your worth into what you have achieved, it will eventually be taken from you. That's just the way things go. Are you ready to quit? <laughs> all right, well then, well, work's out, achievement's out. I think I'll just uh, go lay on the beach and watch sandcastles be built. I don't know. Don't do that. He doesn't want you to do that. That's not the purpose. It's a serious challenge to look at really what life is all about. So the teacher in our, where we're going to end today, is with this riddle. I don't know if you knew it was a riddle, but it's a riddle. So let's look at the riddle and see what it says. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Now, what does that mean? What I learned as I was studying this is that there are actually three Hebrew words for hands. So where we just have one word and it's used three times here, hands, fold their hands, better one hand uh, in tranquility and two handfuls uh, with toil. So would you like to know the three Hebrew words? I think it helps us solve the riddle a little better. You ready to hear it? Okay. First one. Here we go. Fools fold their hands. And the Hebrew word there is yad. Say yad. Yad. And while we say our hand is this part right here, a yod is actually from your fingertips all the way up just past your elbow. This is your yod. We have multiple words. These are what? We call these? And then this is your palm, hand, yes. And this is what? And this is? No. In Hebrew, this is your yod. This is your yod. And so if you... Fold your yod. When do we mostly fold our yod? When we're sleeping, right? We fold this part, our elbows, our wrists, our fingers, our hands. We do this. And the teacher says that to fold your yod is foolish. This is a waste of life. We were called to be involved in something. Even at the very beginning, when we were placed, when human beings were placed into paradise, into the Garden of Eden, we were called to do something. We were called to tend to the garden, to care for it, to nurture the earth, to look after all of creation. So to just do nothing, to give up, to quit, that's foolish. That's a waste of what God has given you. You are called to do something. So that's one extreme, to do nothing, to just fold your what again? Your yod and sleep through life is the foolish thing to do. At the other extreme, we have to go to the very end. Two handfuls with toil. Now this one's going to be interesting to say with all the uh, virus scares because it is the word chofen. So just be careful. Maybe you want to put your hand in front of your mouth. Chofen. Ready? One, two, three. Chofen. Now, chofen is when you do this. It's fists squeezing. It is grasping. It is milking something for all it's worth. It's going after it with both hands, two fists, pulling and pulling everything into my into myself. 
We have seen a lot of chofen this week. Here's a good example. That's a lot of toilet paper. But we have seen in our fear a lot of people going out and chofen, whatever that might be. And so the teacher says, well, don't just fold your yacht and do nothing. But it's also not good to chofen, to try and grab everything for myself, to milk everything for all it's worth just for me, so that I will have meaning, that I will achieve, that I will do these things. He says, better. Uh, this, this actually describes something that's very much praised in our culture right now. And that is workaholism. We think that if we work harder, work more, take less days off, work all the late hours, give up on family and life, or life outside of work, if we keep doing those things, then we get the big paycheck, then we get the, the, we get the big promotion, we get to move up the ladder. That also is chofen. Grabbing, it's a chasing after the wind. Because at some point, that again, the tide will come in. So we have to, to say, so what does he say? Did you know, answer this question for me. What would you do if you had one more hour in the day? What would you do? <laughs> sleep. That's what everybody said. Sleep. Now, this was done in a New York Times test a long time ago. That was the number one answer. Why? Because we are the most chofen nation in the history of the planet. We work ourselves to death. To the point that if we had an extra hour, we would use it to sleep. And he says, this is Hevel. This is chasing after smoke. Last one. He says, better is a cough at rest. What this means is this is your cough here. What, what do we call this? Your palm. Cough at rest. So this is chofen. This is cough. One hand at cough means like this. The other hand at rest. This is the position. Think about this. Not this. Sleeping. Not this. Grasping. But this. I have something that I have received from God to do, and I am doing it. But I am also at rest, relaxing, knowing that God is the one who is giving, and I am the one who is participating with what He has called me to do. This really seems like a paradox, because what, what the teacher is actually saying is that you are work-resting. You are receiving and working while resting and trusting at the same time. This is a balance I think we don't appreciate here. But this is what the teacher says. Don't go to sleep. Don't waste your life. And don't waste your life grabbing for everything. But cough. Open hand. Receiving, ready to do what God calls you to, with one hand at rest, ready to trust that He is the one who is giving. Maybe that's why for the children of Israel, as they came after centuries of slavery, one of the first things that God gave them was Sabbath. You will work for six days, but on the seventh you will, 
you will rest. You have six days to do this. You have one full day to just rest and do nothing. And got very specific on how you were to rest. Or today, the communion, the Lord's Supper, I think is a beautiful illustration. Now, we're not going to take it because I don't want anybody to have virus worries. But I want you to think about this for a second. Bread, this bread did not just magically appear here. There was someone who had their palm open and is good at making bread. And they took what was given to them by God and they worked it for it to be here. Now, even if you were that bread maker, you were the one who had the skill to make bread and you made that bread, you still had to rely on the earth to produce the grain. You still had to rely on the sun to warm the ground, for the seed to come forth, for it to grow. Do you see how this is like what the teacher tells us? We receive. We may have some work in the process, but we receive and we rest and we receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the bread. The same goes for the cup. This juice just didn't magically get here. We're all appreciative that Welch's is a local company. Well, I think it still is. But even if you were the harvester and you were the one who, who put this great juice into the press and it squeezed out, if you were the one who put it in the bottle, you still had to wait. You still had to receive with open hands the fruit to be grown on the vine, the sun to warm the earth, the rain to fall, to be gathered up through the soil. Jesus gives us this. Yes, as a remembrance of His great sacrifice of His body and His blood, but also to remind us that we receive forgiveness from Him. We don't earn or take forgiveness from Him. Do you see how all of this fits together? And this is the wisdom of the teacher. This is what we are called also to remember within the bread and the cup. So let's finish with a few questions. You may want to write these down. These may be questions that you want to ask yourself over the week. So go ahead and open your journal. What are you hoping for? What are you grasping at right now in your life? What are you grasping for Maybe you want to ask yourself, who are you jealous of? Who's pushing your achievement? What achievements are you striving for? Lastly, maybe ask God, do I need more balance? Do I need to have a cough? And one hand at rest. Where can I do that? Can you open one palm to receive, to work, and to rest? Well, today we're going to take virtual communion. Here's what I want us to do. I'd like for you to take out your journals if you don't already have them out. 
And I want you to look at the bread and the, and the cup that is here. And just for a few minutes, I want you to begin to wrestle with these questions. What have I received from God? What is the gift God has given to me? Where do I need to trust more? And what part is mine to do? Okay? Let's take just a moment, just a couple of minutes, about the time that we would take to have you come up and receive. And let's look at what God is calling us to. Take this moment. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the privilege to gather today. Pray that you would protect those who have come. We pray in this week that you would challenge us to wake up, to not grasp or strive for things that will only bring heartache and anger but to rest in You, to trust that our thirst will be quenched by You. To simply live life with a palm open, ready to receive what You call us and be ready to do it. And to have one hand at rest. To always rest in You, to trust that You have our best in mind. Father, help us to work from a different place this week. Help us to hear the teacher's words, to take them to our heart. We pray, even as we go, that we would have that palm open in the midst of this virus scare, ready to hear what you would call us to, ready to rest and trust your presence. Go with us now. May we become your peace into our world. For we pray and ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, May you go in peace. May you go with one hand ready to receive and the other at rest. May you learn the strength and beauty and the wisdom of work resting. May you be peace for your neighbors, for your colleagues, for those who are afraid. And may you know the grace and peace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is with you always. I pray and bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and wash your hands.